0: Karen gave me good counsel before uh, she, when she walked by her, she says, don't yell at him. And <laughs> hey, you know when I get excited, you know, I get, you know when I get, you know when I get animated, it's just, I'm not, I'm not yelling at you. It's, yeah, I'm just, I'm just projecting, you know, I don't have my uh, any amplification, so I'm just projecting. I get jazzed about God's word. I'm going to start this year with one of my favorite quotes of all time. It comes from the movie Braveheart, based upon the true life story of William Wallace. At the end of the movie, Wallace, uh, who has put up a valiant fight for the freedom of his people, he's been captured, he's in a dungeon, he's awaiting execution. His woman comes to him uh, lamenting that he will soon be dead. Does anybody know what William Wallace said uh, in the movie at that time? Dan knows. What does he say, Dan? love that line. Obviously Dan, uh, it made an impression on Dan as well. Every man dies, not every man really lives. Of course the implications are that those who are risk averse at all costs, those who purposely live very small and manageable lives, those who cower at every turn and and spend their whole life being afraid, those who shrink back from doing the thing they know is right to do, and that God has called him to do, Wallace says that person has never really lived at all. I think that William Wallace might have read John 12, 25 to 26, because Jesus Christ said it like this, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am uh, there shall my servant also be, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I like uh, the the message paraphrase on, on verse 25 here. Let me just give it to you. It gives us a little bit of insight. In the same way, the paraphrase reads, anyone who holds on to this life just as it is destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you have it forever, real and eternal. I love the paraphrase there. Jim's paraphrase would be this. You don't have time to sweat the temporal stuff because you're too busy walking with God. That's how I would uh, paraphrase John 12, 25 and 26. Jesus Christ taught us how to live this temporal life, how to live this earthly life. He was uncompromising, was He not? He was fearless. He was courageous. courageous. He was bold. That's how our Lord walked the earth. Jesus Christ is and was the antithesis of being risk averse, particularly when it meant following uh, the the directives of his Father. Did you notice there in verse 26 of, of John 12, Jesus says, If anyone serves me, He will go with me. He will follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. Jesus says, my people will follow me in this. They'll walk just like I walk. They'll live live just like I live. Jesus says, my people will go with me. They follow me. For where I am, my people, my servant will be with me also. C.S. Lewis said, uh, it is not always the preacher's responsibility to impart new information. Sometimes the preacher simply needs to remind us to do what we already know. And tonight I'm going to remind you to do what you already know. Some of you have heard this sermon, I think, maybe once or twice. Some of you that have been around, some of you veterans that have been around for a while may have heard it more than that. But I'm going to start uh, 2010, just like I started 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, and 2009. I want us to stand on the border of the promised land with those two million Jews and and watch them shrink back from claiming the promise of God. Because I don't want that to happen to us as a church in 2010, nor do I want it to happen in your personal life in 2010. Do you remember the account? The Jews would not go into the promised land. You heard the account read. They would not go in. Why would they not go in? It looked too risky. Has God ever asked you to do a thing that looked risky, that was going to cost? Let me tell you, friend, if you've walked with Jesus very long, the time will come when He will ask you to obey Him in something that will be risky it won't just be coming to church and sitting in the chair it will it will require something of you it will be risky it will be costly we started the last 5 years with this resolution that we would believe God we would trust God and we would obey God in 2010 even if it looks hard even if it looks like it's going to cost even if it's risky Oswald Chambers says it like this. God brings us to the place where He asks us to believe Him and obey Him, but too often we begin to debate with Him. That moment comes, uh, pardon me, becomes a great crossroads in our lives, and we have to decide for God or against God. And my challenge to you in 2010 is to always decide for God. doesn't matter how hard it looks. Decide for God. Don't even think about it. Decide for God in 2010. Decide for God. in that excellent book that we give away, Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, uh, he says that for the Christian, obedience will always involve risk. It always does in some realm. It will always involve risks. And Piper says, and I agree with him 100%, when the Christian bumps up against those risks, It's always right to take them. We're never to shrink back. We're to claim the promise of God and we're to obey. Real obedience will always be risky. Always. If you've obeyed Him very much along the road, you know, very far down the road, you'll come to that place where it will cost to go with Jesus. It will cost. And it's always right to take that risks, the preeminent risk for those who profess to be christians is unrisky disobedience everybody understand that unrisky disobedience is far more risky than risky obedience and we're going to see that tonight at kadish barnea so our 2010 resolution is that we will decide for god in 2010 like we've never decided uh, for god before we will not shrink back we will not compromise if god says go we go If God says, stay, we stay. We're on God for 2010. Extravagant obedience. That's what I'm calling you to in 2010. Extravagant obedience. Extravagant obedience. You call yourself a Christian? Extravagant obedience. That's what I'm calling you to in 2010. Open your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles open to chapter 13 of Numbers. You heard Jim read part of the text let me just bring you up to speed Uh, god has brought the jews out of egyptian slavery they've seen his power uh... as he has crushed egypt they've seen seen the ten plagues they've seen the red sea divided they've seen the pillar of of fire from heaven they've eaten the manna uh... god has given moses the ten commandments and two million jews are standing uh, one step away from the promised land it's a place known as Kadesh barnea and Kadesh Barnea has become biblical shorthand for the costly consequences of deciding against God, of shrinking back from the promise and command of God. That's what Kadesh Barnea has come to mean. You heard Jim read the text, uh, Numbers 13, 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send out for yourselves uh, men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. Here's a fresh promise from God. God's been promising this land for over 500 years. He's making good on the promise He made to Abraham. He's just been promising it to His people through 500 years of history. He's making good on it. And basically, this is a fresh promise. God says, it's a done deal if you will act. Friends, did you know it's always like that with God? Did you know it's always a done deal if you'll just obey Him? The promise is a done deal. It, it, it always is. He's always a promise keeper. He's never not a promise keeper. God says, It's a done deal. I'm going to give it to you. It's a brand new promise right there in verse 2. And then verse 17 to 20, just very quickly. And Moses sent them out to spy out the land in Canaan, verse 18, to see what the land was like, whether the people who were there were strong or weak or few or many. Verse 19. And how the land uh, was, was it good or was it bad? How were the cities, were they open camps or fortified? Verse 20, and how is the land, is it fat or lean? So Moses sends out the spies, and I love this about God. This is what he always does in the lives of his people. He, what is he doing? He's driving the Hebrews to faith. He knows what they're going to see when they go in there. They're going to see giant people. They're going to see people that they're going to be afraid of. He knows that. He's driving them to faith. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Friend, are you pleasing your God? Are you walking by faith? Even when it's risky. Even when it's hard. <laughs> even when you tremble. Sometimes you will tremble. If you're going to walk with Jesus Christ. Sometimes you will. But He's there. And he's faithful. God says, go spy out this land. I want you to understand what the risks are. I want you to understand what the obstacles are. I want you to count the cost. And I'm going to give you this land, but the thing I want you to know, and this is true in your life, God wants to give you uh, the promises he's made to you, but God says, I want you to know what it's going to cost, and I want you to know you can't do it without me. You can't walk where Christ is calling you to walk, On your own, you can't do it. You can't do it in your own strength. And God is teaching the Old Testament Jews that they can't have the promise without Him, without His power. They can't have it. They can't walk in their own strength. So He's showing them that they need Him. He wants them to go in with their eyes wide open. He wants them to know that they can't have the promised land without Him. When Jesus Christ says, follow me, friends, sometimes it will be risky. Sometimes it will be hard. You heard me mention an unspoken or nameless prayer request at the the beginning of the service. This person is in a hard place. And they're going to have to decide, do I really believe God's Word or not? Do I really believe He's going to show up? Do I really believe he's a promise keeper? Friends, my exhortation to you tonight is: He is a faithful, promise-keeping God. He wants you to know. He wants you to know that he's a promise keeper. And the beautiful thing about being a Christian is: if we believe him, if we trust him, if we obey him, he shows us his glory. You remember uh, standing there in front of Lazarus' tomb in John chapter. Uh, what was that? John chapter 6, I think. If memory, re- No, John chapter 10. John chapter 10? That sounds right. Okay. John chapter 10. I don't have it in my notes. You remember what Jesus said? If you believe, what will happen? What will happen if you believe? What did he say to Martha? Anybody? You will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. It's a promise of Jesus. And you remember what George Otis said. We covered David and Goliath a couple of times in this church. And I love what George Otis said. He said, God never causes people to a fair fight. You're always going to need God. He's not going to call you to something you can do on your own. It takes no faith. If you can do it in your own strength, you don't need God. God's not going to call you to that place. He's going to call you past that place where you need Him to be there, where you need Him to show up, Where you need his power in your life. Friends, we can be religious without God. There are millions, billions of people on the planet who are religious, and they don't know God from the man in the moon. You can be religious all day without God, but you can't be a real Christian. You can't walk with Christ in the flesh. You have to be a son or daughter of the living God to walk with Jesus. And this is one thing that God is saying to the Old Testament Jews. It reminded me, as I thought about these things, it reminded me about Peter, you know, getting out of the boat and walking on the water. And you may remember the story. Jesus doesn't command Peter to get out of the boat. This is one of my favorite things about this story. Peter wanted to get out of the boat. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you there with God? Are you in that place where you have an appetite? You have an appetite to walk with Christ, even when it's hard, even if it's impossible. Of course, it was impossible for him to get out of the boat. But you remember what Peter said? Peter said, Lord, if that's you out there, bid me come. And what will Jesus always say to his sons and daughters when they say, uh, Lord Jesus, if, Jesus, if that's that, you out there, bid me come. What will he always say? Come. And Peter did the impossible. He walked. He walked on the water. But I love it that Peter had that appetite to be fearless and courageous and bold. Christian friend, I want to challenge you in 2010 to walk like that with your Lord and with your Savior. Oswald Chambers again. Faithfulness to Jesus means that I must step out even when and where I can't see anything. you understand that? I'm going to read it again. Faithfulness to Jesus means that I must step out even when and where I can't see anything. Faith is not an intellectual understanding. Faith is a deliberate commitment to the person of Jesus Christ even when I can't see the way ahead. Are you debating whether you should take a step of faith in Jesus or whether you should wait until you can clearly see how to do what He has asked? Oswald Chambers says, Simply obey God with glad, reckless joy. I I love that little phrase. I use it all the time. Simply obey God with glad, reckless joy. I want that to be part of your New Year's resolution this year. To obey God with glad, reckless joy. At Kadesh Barnea, you must have faith and you must step out. It's part of the deal. At your personal, your personal Kadesh Barnea, you must step out. It's part of the deal. You must uh, believe what God has said to you. It's called faith. God designed it like this. It, it's what it means to be a Christian. We must step out. Even if we can't see everything and understand our way forward completely so what will israel do at kadesh barnea what will you do in 2010 will you obey the lord will you venture out on his promises if you do you will begin to taste the glory of god in your life like you never have tasted it before look here at numbers thirteen twenty-five with me when they return when the spies return from spying out the land at the end of 40 days verse 27 uh, they said it certainly does flow with milk and honey and here's some of the fruit verse 28 nevertheless the people who lived in the land were strong and the cities are fortified and very large and moreover we we saw the descendants of Anak there verse 30 Uh, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. Now, the the other spires are wanting to back away, but Caleb says, No, we should by all means go up and take the possession. Why should they go up? Why should they go up? Anyone know? The Lord is with them. God has promised them this land. They should go up. They should go up. Caleb is right. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. Verse 33. We also saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, uh, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. You, you, You know what the spies are saying when they say we can't go up? What are they saying? And let me ask you, Christian, friend, what are you saying when you know that God has clearly called you to do a thing, but you're shrinking back from that thing? What is it that you're saying by your actions? I know you're not articulating it, but what are these spies saying by their actions? What do we say by our actions when we will not obey the Lord? Wow. You guys, yeah, that's right. God is not big enough to keep His promise to God's not God enough. You know, we can rationalize it all we want, but friends, that's what it comes down to. In your personal life, when you refuse to obey God, it's because you're afraid. It's because you're unwilling to take the risk. It's because you really don't believe He is who He says He is, and He'll do what He says He'll do. And so the Jews are afraid. They are afraid. They don't believe God's a promise keeper. They don't believe that he's God enough for them. I want to challenge you to be like Caleb in 2010. Caleb says, By all means, we should venture out on the promise of God. Let me ask you, Christian friend, do you believe him like that? Are you willing to risk everything on the promise of God? You know, I've grown up in church all my life. I've shared this with you before. I wasn't saved until I was 28. But in the tradition I grew up in, people would sit in the pew, man, and they were all about God, right? They were all about God in the pew on Sunday morning. But man, you get them out in the world and you ask them to take a risk for God, they were like deer in the headlights. Does everybody know what that means? Deer in the headlights? When you get a, a deer in the headlights, he just like freezes. He's just like, what? So, you know, in the tradition I grew up in, to talk to someone about taking a risk for God, it was, it was just... It was, un- it was inconceivable. But friends, that's what I'm challenging you to in 2010. And I promise, if you don't shrink back with God this year, it'll be the best year you've ever had in your whole life. It'll be the best year you've ever had in your whole life with Jesus Christ. I, you will taste glory that you have never tasted before. You will have communion with Him like you've never had before. He will disclose Himself to you like He's never disclosed Himself to you before. It's a simple thing. We're called to follow Him. My challenge to you is following. Read your Bible. Understand what God is saying to you and then do it. We're to be doers of the Word. We talked about that a lot last year. I want us to be a church... Of Caleb, you remember that man. You remember what Jesus said to that man in Mark chapter nine. He was struggling to believe, and Jesus said to him, "If you are able to believe, all things are possible." And you remember what that man said. You remember what he said. I love this, Jim. What did he say? Help me, I believe you. Help my unbelief. Exactly, exactly. you Remember, he says, "I believe, I believe." What? Help my unbelief. And I want to challenge you, as I challenge you to to trust the Lord and believe Him in a radical way and obey Him in a radical way this year. You're going to need that prayer. So you keep that prayer handy. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. If you're not bumping up up against your unbelief regularly, somewhere along the line, you sat down. Because God is going to continually bring you up against where where you're still not believing Him, where you're still not trusting Him. God's going to continue to bring you up against that. So if, you if you're serious about walking with Christ, keep that prayer handy in the new year. You know, people will sit in church and say, yeah, that's right, that's good. Preach, preach, preacher, preach. Amen. They'll sit in a church and do that, but that's not the test of really believing it. The test is out in the world. The test is in your family, with your spouse. The test is with your kids. The test is, is in school. The test is, is at, 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 at in your career. That's the test. Will you really do what God says out in the world? Look at Numbers 14, 1 through 4. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices, and they cried, and the people wept and, and, uh, that night. And verse 2, And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation and said to them, Would that uh, we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Can you believe these people? Verse 3, and why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Oh, now they're impugning the character of God. He set them up to be slaughtered, they're saying. Our wives and our little ones will become plundered. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Verse 4, so they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Can you believe it? These people have, have, have seen the power of God in many, many ways. They're one step away from everything they ever wanted. But it's the step they won't take. What is that step? Faith. I'm just challenging you in, in 2010 to live your faith. Don't be a Christian in name only. We have way too many of them in what is called the modern church. we really really obey really act on the Word of God and you will encounter him like you've never encountered him before. these Jews they will not trust God they will not obey God God is there the promise is there but they won't take the step and what I want to say to you, when you come to your personal Kadesh Barnea this year, and you may come to multiple Kadesh Barneas, God will be there. God's promise will be there. All you have to do is believe and act. That's all you have to do. Christianity is profoundly simple. All you have to do is believe and act. That's it. That's it. And that's what I want to call you to do in 20... And as I said, they've impugned the character of God that He set them up to be slaughtered and God will not leave this accusation unanswered. And they want to go back to Egypt. What's Egypt? Someone tell me what Egypt is. It's slavery. But they would rather go back to Egypt than trust God and live an abundant life. Man, isn't that just like so many who profess to be Christians? I'd rather stay in my sin, my bondage of sin. At least I understand this. At least I can manage this instead of going with God and really living the abundant life, the God-filled life, the God-sized life. So many in the modern church just want to stay in Egypt. Egypt is slavery, but it's safe. Friends, real Christianity is not not safe. (laughs) I actually have a couple of sermons about this. It's never genuinely safe in a temporal sense. It's safe eternally. But in a temporal sense, Jesus says you will have trouble. The world will hate you on my account. That's, true. that's biblical Christianity. I mean, that's, that's, that's what God says to us. How many professed Christians are living their life still in slavery so enamored with the illusion of worldly security and so risk averse that they will not take a chance on the gospel instead of believing and trusting and obeying god the hebrews say let's go back and be slaves let's go back and be slaves you may remember what jesus said in john eight thirty one and 32 he says if you're in my word you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The promise of God. You're free when you act upon the promise of God. You're not bound to sin. You're not bound to fear. You're not bound to anxiety. You're not petrified, afraid to go forward. You stand on the Word of God. You're free in the Word of God. You have the promise of God and God is a promise keeper i was thinking about this i think i shared it with you last year you know the bible tells us and i go back to this verse a lot the bible tells us that we are vapors upon the earth friends we don't have time to cower we don't have time to be afraid we're on this earth for a few moments tomorrow morning when you wake up and for the balance of 2010 i want you to aggressively seek the will of god and obey it you don't have time to be passive we are vapors upon the earth. We have only a moment here and we will be gone. A moment as compared to an eternity. Paul told Timothy, "Lay hold of the eternal life to which you were called." I'm challenging you, Christian, are you laying hold of it? And are you living it large? That's what biblical Christianity, that's the call of biblical Christianity. That's the call of biblical Christianity. Are you still living like the world? Which is to say, are you still a slave? Or are you laying hold of the life God is calling you to live by faith? Our 2010 New Year's resolution in the words of Joshua and Caleb, when God brings you to this Kadesh Barnea, listen to their words. I want you to hear these. I don't want you to forget these. I want you to remember these as you go into the new year. Listen to what they say. I'm going to read uh, verse 6 through 9. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceeding good land. It's what God said it would be. Verse 8, If the Lord is pleased with us, then He will bring us into this land and He will give it to us. Hear what they're saying? They're saying God's a promise keeper. A land which flows with milk and honey. God is a promise keeper. Verse 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they shall be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And I just want to say this to you, Christian. I want you to hear me. God is bringing us to a good place. And that's what He'll do in your life in 2010 if you will believe Him. God will give us all that He has promised and He will do that in your life if you will trust Him. God will turn our fear into our prey and He will be doing that in your life as you obey the Lord. Joshua and Caleb, say uh, the thing I want to say to you tonight, tonight, the Lord is with us. Do not fear in 2010. I don't know where uh, the hard spot is in your life, but do not fear. God is with you. And God is faithful. He is a promise keeper. And Joshua and Caleb, they call the people's unwillingness to believe God what it is. They call it, look there in verse 9, they say, don't rebel. They call it rebellion. And I'm going to close. I'm just going to look at verse 10 and 11 here real quick. But all the congregation said, stone these guys. Then the glory of the Lord appeared. in the tent of, of the meeting of the, uh, all the sons of Israel, verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people spurn me? And how long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I have performed in their midst? I looked at this Hebrew verb translated spurn. It's translated six different ways in English, in different translations. Let, let me just give them to you. The NAS says "spurn." Uh, some, other, some other ways it's translated. God says, How long will these people spurn me, despise me, reject me, provoke me, ignore me, have contempt for me? Do you see the gravity of not believing, not trusting, and not obeying God? Do you see how God interprets this? Do you see what's at stake at Kadesh Barnea, your personal Kadesh I'll let you read the the rest of Numbers 14. I, I, I presume most of you know the end of the story. These people died in the wilderness because they would not believe God. And friends, that's a heavy metaphor for our personal lives. We too will perish in the wilderness if we don't go with God. If we won't obey Him with glad, reckless joy. I'm with Peter on this one. You remember what Peter said in John chapter 6. You remember that all the disciples were withdrawing from him. And Jesus asked the twelve. He said, Will you go also. And Peter said, you have the words of life. And that's what this sermon is about. Man, I'm exhorting you to live 2010 very large. I'm, I'm exhorting you to live at large. And the way you do that is by obeying everything God tells you to do. Uncompromisingly, obey everything the Lord tells you to do. Have you set limits to your obedience to God? Maybe some of you have. And I'm challenging you to break through those limits this year. I'm going to close. I'm just going to turn over. You guys know the rest of the story, right? Joshua chapter 21, verse 43 to 45. Let me just read it to you real quick. So the Lord gave Israel all the land which He had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and they lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all that He had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed to come to pass. And friends, that's my challenge to you. Claim the promise of God in 2010. Follow Jesus. Don't don't just be a church member. Don't just be religious. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Him. He will keep every promise. And you will experience Him like you have never experienced Him before. Obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this challenge. I personally thank you for it. Father, I pray that you would keep me from shrinking back in 2010. I pray that you would keep this church from shrinking back in 2010. Oh, Father, I pray that we would have our ears tuned and turned to you, that we would be hearing what you're saying and we would be eager to obey. Father, that we would not give ourselves over to fear and anxiety. But Father, we would claim Your promise. We would stand on Your Word. And we would extravagantly obey our awesome God. Father, we want to, that's the kind of people that we want to be. And Father, there may be some sitting in here that are struggling with immense obstacles, immense problems. Father, I pray that you will show them their way through those problems. For Father, if we don't learn anything else from your Bible, we learn that you are a faithful God and that you are promise-keeping God. May we claim those promises in 2010 and may we go with Jesus. Bid us come, Lord Jesus. Bid us come, we pray, in Jesus' name. Let's stand and close with that chorus of ancient words.